0: Once in a while, I have something from my old files that just begs me to pull it out. And so, a poem. And it's a funny poem because it's dated and I have to edit it so it can be understood. I have to edit it for political correctness. It uses the word gay in the proper manner. (laughs) Oh, well, I'll go ahead and use it. Two gay young frogs from the inland bogs had spent the night in drinking. As morning broke and they awoke while yet their eyes were blinking, the milkman's pail came to the swale and caught them quick as blinking. Ere they could gather scattered senses or breathe a prayer for past offenses, the granger grave and gallest man had dumped them in the milkman's can. The can filled up. The cover came down and soon they were headed off to town. The luckless frogs begin to quake and sober up on cold milkshake. (laughs) They quickly find their breath will stop unless they swim upon the top. So they swim for life and kick and swim until their weary eyes grow dim. Their muscles ache, their, their breath grows short and gasping speaks one weary sport. Say, old boy, it's pretty tough to die so young, but I've had enough. I've no more kicks for life, no more I'll try it. I was not raised on a milk diet. Tut-tut, my lad, the other cries. Frog's not dead until he dies. Just keep on kicking, that's my plan. We may yet see outside this can. No use, no use, faint heart replied. Curled up his toes and gently died. The braver frog undaunted still kept on kicking with the right goodwill until with joy too great to utter he found he'd churned a lump of butter. (laughs) (laughs) And climbing on that chunk of grease he floated to town with the greatest of ease. When times are hard, no trade in town, don't get discouraged and don't go down. But struggle still, no murmur utter. A few more kicks might bring the butter. <laughs> Hallelujah! Looks like still, it still. Looks like it still has some punch. I want to talk to you about endurance. One of the things about spirit Field Church, one of the things about grace Field Church is that we sound as if effort is blasphemy. We sound as if human effort and human work is a wrong-headed pursuit. We sound as if God just does everything it just isn't true. He does not do everything. And he didn't make us helpless. And while we cannot uh, accomplish the things that need to be accomplished to, to, to achieve our utter salvation, oh, there's a great deal we can do. And there's a great deal he caused us to do. There's some theologies out there that uh, actually play on this thing. There's a... There's a school of thought that loves to say that theology is all monergistic, one energy, meaning all the power comes from God, and all synergistic as uh, theologies are considered to be evil and vile and Pelagian and Armenian and every other kind of uh, epithet that you can throw at wrong-headed theology. Well, I'm not talking about that and neither is the scripture, but there's one thing for absolute sure, you're going to have to cooperate in this life to get far. You're going to have to put some effort into this life to get where you're trying to go. And once in a while, it's time to just preach an exhortational message that says, hey guys, don't give up. If you've been preaching for 44 years, you learn something, don't give up. I was raised by people who, uh, honestly, I was raised in the era when, when uh, quitting was, uh, was, was the vilest of all sins. And now we're raising our children uh, to, we actually quit for our children when they're in pain. Mom and Dad we actually we actually do the quitting for them because we are so verboden that they should go through any any kind of trials, and we are we are assuring that we're raising crippled children, butterflies that'll never get their wings because because one of the natural realities of our life is that. There has to be some pain. There has to be some trouble. There has to be some difficulty. I've referred to it before, but um, there's an old pamphlet that I like. Some of you have heard of the old missionary C. T. Studd. I love C. T. Studd. And he's a controversial figure, and and some people say, but but his his um, biography, was one of the first um, Christian biographies that I read. And it stirred me so much. Um, and C.T. Studd was a man that was called to suffer many things. And so not surprisingly, when he, when he had an opportunity to pen a few words to exhort others, um, one of the most famous things that he penned was a, was a thing about heroism as the lost cord in Christianity. He said, um, he said, every true soldier is a hero. A soldier without heroism is a chocolate soldier. And he wrote a little pamphlet called The Chocolate Soldier. And he goes through the whole Bible about the heroes and what they endured. And then the, the famous chocolate soldiers who melted at the first sight of battle. I could read it, but... It's not as good as the the frogs. (laughs) So I'll read some scripture. I don't read scripture to make it legal. I read scripture because we need it. In the book of Revelation, there. you know there's actually two things in the book of Revelation that you're called for. There's two paths in the book of Revelation that we're taught to walk on. The first path is, is the path of wisdom. And when he's talking, when the writer of Revelation is talking about the things that people go through, he says, this calls for wisdom. But twice in the 13th and 14th chapter, he tells them what what things they're going through. And he says, this calls for endurance. You see, wisdom can sometimes solve a problem. Endurance bears it. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes, chapter 13, If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for endurance and the faith of the saints. Chapter 12, he writes, Here is the call for endurance of the saints and those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ in the context of talking about those who take the mark of the beast. Here is the call for endurance. And then if you... If you want to know um, an easy way to study your Bible, let's just say you want to be a Bible study teacher. And one of the things that happens around here is you you come around here and your pastor gives you a diet of theology. I know I do, but I'm trying to get get born again. I'm trying to change. (laughs) Give you some pastoral stuff. So I'm actually going back to Uh, an earlier method when I was brand new believer and I wanted to teach the Bible you know what I did I got an English concordance chased down words in the Bible put those words together into sermon and preached me a sermon with some passion Do it. You won't be far off. You might. You might be a. You might miss a, a few technical meanings of some things, but you won't be far off in your exhortation of your brothers and sisters of how to live. Amen. And we're doing that a little bit tonight. This passage, when this one keeps coming up everywhere I look, I was uh, I get so surprised. Anthony preached on this passage and then has to quote it to himself all the time. Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, right? We got the faith thing taken care of. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what he's about to write about is not how to get peace with God. It's how to get through the world. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace by which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that but we rejoice in what? Sufferings. Sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. What's that suffering look like? Well, trust me, it'll surprise you. A lot of time you'll say, how did I get here? Yeah. And you're going to find out you got here by running away from the suffering that was the very thing you were called to, to go through so that if you would go through it, you can get where you're going, but having failed to go through it, now you get to go through it again. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Say, well, how do I get hope? You got to suffer. It seems to be exactly the opposite because most of us think that that suffering is hopelessness no the, the the path of the bible is through the through the gate of suffering we develop the stuff that's needed for hope and hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the holy spirit that's been given to us i'm so thankful that though i was raised by people who didn't always know the proper spiritual principles based on text of scriptures. I was raised on people who had been fashioned by character and that character had come from suffering. You see, if you were a product at all of anyone from the greatest generation, you were raised by a people who came through a great, a great suffering, the suffering of living in a time when almost everybody was poor. They came out of the great depression, a of living in a time when after the the, the terrible pain of the of the uh, of the great Depression what came next prosperity Why, where did it come from well it came through a war it came through building a, a war machine and then the awful suffering of world war ii that thing that threw the world into an apocalypse of sin in which we thought we didn't know will we come out on the other side and now having built wealth on several generations of uh, of life after that greatest generation you know what i fear that the time is coming when we're going to have to go back and build again the foundations that made us once uh, the people who could be called the greatest generation So I'm saying to you, embrace suffering. What's kind of suffering? I don't know, lots of times it's just psychological. Lots of times it's relational. Lots of times the kind of suffering that we suffer in secular world is the kind of suffering that doesn't look like it has a purpose, and that's why it's so insidious. You see, most of us think if somebody would just come directly at us and persecute us for our faith, come directly at us and persecute us uh, for, to, to make us into something that that we know no we're not called to be. We could handle that. But it's when life comes at you in angles and in ways that you didn't expect, and the suffering comes in ways of torment. And soul suffering that you never expected that, you're, that you melt. And so you say, What does suffering look like? What does it look like at your house? I don't know, but I know this. You know you're there when you're ready to quit, you know you're there when you're ready to turn back. Listen. Don't get the wrong idea from this message either. Sometimes there's times to, to quit things. There's sometimes times to get out of um, to get out of. Uh, sometimes there's times to get out of a relationship. Sometimes there's times to get out of a uh, get out of a job. Sometimes there's things times to get out. Don't hear this that way. I'm talking about quitting the things that you know better than to quit. Yeah. I'm talking about quitting your character. I'm talking about quitting uh, I'm talking about quitting your calling. I'm talking about quitting the stuff that you know God has in your life and you, and you quit. So I I was raised by people that never would let me quit and they believed everything in life was an object lesson on not quitting. So if you went to little league and you struck out 15 times in a row, that was not a call to to stop playing little league. No, sir, you're going to strike out until the season was over. (laughs) That that was going to be it. I mean, so at my house, there was a rule. If you start something, you no. come on. Most of you have heard of it. I don't know how many of you have actually endured it. So, you know, how many times do we say to our kid, our kid gets in a bad spot. We say, well, you don't do that. No, no, no. I was raised by the people said, you have to do that. And you said, oh, that's why I'm raising my kid the other way. Well, let's see how it turns out. Or you might be raising a chocolate soldier. The Christian discipleship looks like, wait a minute, this is a tough gig. No, no, no. Life is a training field. And all training fields have applications for deeper meanings. So listen, I'm telling you, let's build these blocks knowing that we rejoice in suffering. What? We only rejoice in suffering because we know about suffering. You can only do it if you, know what it's, if you know it's got a purpose, if you know it's going somewhere. So I'm telling you now, the suffering that you don't know has a purpose likely has a purpose that you've just lost sight of. And you gotta open your eyes and look again. Because you're there. Are you there by the hand of God? If you're there by the, some act of sinful stupidity, well, maybe we'll talk this thing over. But most of us are where we are by some sense that we were called to go into this. And so you go into this. You Listen, it won't do you any good to say, was this you God? <laughs> say, where are you now, God? Because I want you to know that when you make a bad decision, he didn't quit you and you can find him when you seek him. Yeah. Knowing that producing uh, that, that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character hope, character hope, it's not put us to shame. So I went from my my grandfather's uh, my, the, my, that grandfather of mine who was of that greatest generation. <coughs> oh how I admire my grandfather Eastwood. Anyway, I went from his discipleship to a, a female named Gail. How does she end up in all my sermons? I just know this. When I married her, I was playing football. And football had provided me an education. And when I became a Christian, I didn't like, I didn't like what football did to me on the inside. So I started saying, well, I'm gonna quit football. And she went. And so I went to seminary and I went to seminary and I was like, really, this is a cemetery. (laughs) And so I was gonna quit that and she went. And pretty much time after time in those first 10 years of marriage, every time I'd hit a wall and I thought, well, I'll just go through this door. She'd be standing in the door. (laughs) What do you want me to do? I want you to go back in there and do it again. Because this thing is forming and fashioning you. So without any suffering, there's no endurance. And with no endurance, there's no character. And hopelessness, hopelessness is being devoid of character. Because ultimately, then you got to hate yourself. Come on, let's get this thing done, guys. God's called us. Let's look at the scripture. When you go in Romans and get on in chapter 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. Now listen, that through endurance and the encouragement of scripture, I love that. See, now I've given you another tool. Don't bear it. Don't just. Don't just grit it out. And I've given you already. I'm giving you scripture. What a beautiful thing we have through endurance and through the encouragement of scripture. We might have what? Same story. Same exact story. May the God of endurance and of encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. With one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Wow. Literally, somebody tonight, you're gonna leave out here, you're gonna leave here encouraged, and you're gonna leave here with a few keys. But it's just scripture and it's just Jesus. And in Romans, it said, in the first part of Romans, it said the one who pours the Holy Spirit into our heart. See, this is not an effort devoid of the one who lives within you. And here it says, in accord with Christ, always, whenever you do talk about the human element of the divine discipleship, always, there's the, there's the divine hand there. Always. The one who never leaves us or forsakes us is there for us. And he's carrying us through. You know this path. So, after 10 years of playing football and 10 years of um, education after high school, and some of that overlapping. I, uh, I found myself 29 and married with three children and um, headed into a fresh phase of ministry because I had already been in the ministry all those years as well. But I'm going to say something audacious. I found myself indestructible. Why? Because of training, 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 training because of suffering. You know what training is? Training is causing yourself to suffer for a greater purpose. Training is bringing intentional suffering on yourself for a greater purpose. Ever played sports? That's all it is. That's all it is. What you do in secret is so that you can have those faint moments. This is why I did it. And listen, for most of us, it's not the laurel crown because I didn't win hardly anything. You know what the crown was? I did it. I did it. That's why when I went to my college a couple of years ago in my old college and and spoke to a team that didn't win hadn't won a single game and would go through a season with only winning one game. My subject was how to be undefeated. Just finish. And this is why the stories that you love about the marathon are not the stories about the winners. Those are okay. You like the one that came in 5,365th and last and finished. Or the one about the guy who, who, who was in the race and couldn't finish, but somebody went and walked him across the line so they could finish. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is what we're called to. So I I say to people all the time, "Um, I don't know, I just know I'll show up tomorrow. Lately, people are asking me a lot, well, hey, how you doing? And I say, well, I'm a pastor. (laughs) What does that mean? That means it's really like, how am I doing? At any one time, I'm doing a multitude of ways. At any one time I'm at any one time the arrows are coming from every direction or whatever. And I'm still standing. And what am I here for? I want to create a generation that's indestructible. Yeah. I like to hike the mountains. I'm not any good at it, but I can tell you this. You might get to the peak an hour before I get there. But you won't find me on the way down. I'll be at the top sooner or later because I'm going to get there because I got that in me. Because if I start off, I'm like, the deal is to finish. You say, well, what happens if it's impossible? Well, there'll be another day, we'll go finish it then. <laughs> endurance. Jesus calls people to come and die with him, that calls for endurance. And so I'm reading the words of the Apostle Paul. It's really nice. These are wonderful theories. And so you want to, th- this is why you keep studying your Bible. This is why you run, that little, you run that little thing. You say, well, what about this guy, right? And then you read about him in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 4, this same guy. This is how one should regard us. Who? Apostles. Everybody wants to be an apostle. please. Please as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is Paul, as he talks, in 1 Corinthians, he talks more about his own apostleship than anywhere else. And he gives us some secrets. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but to you, we are wise. But but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst and are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. So much for the health and wealth gospel. We labor and are working with our own hands. When reviled, when we bless, and when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Anybody want to try that? Any of that sound good to you? Come be an apostle. Here's the application, he says. And he goes on. By the way, when I read about the apostle Paul, I'm like, sometimes I like to think about dude writing about himself to some people. He was an audacious guy, right? He goes on, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. This is great. This is great. The man who was talking to me on Saturday afternoons, on Saturday mornings when I was working in his yard, and Saturday afternoons when I was eating at his table and watching Sandy Koufax throw baseball. Oh, yeah. The man that was speaking to my heart in those days had been through the depression. He married his wife and then the depression hit. Knew what it was like to not have work and have a wife and babies coming. That man had been through, he didn't go through the war himself. His age hit at the times that he didn't, he didn't get called to war. He got called to be in, the, in a nation that was in war and building a nation so that a nation could have the undergirdings that it would need for the greatest test of its life. That man who was talking to me, he was not talking to me to make me ashamed, but to admonish me. No, oh, by the way, lots of times he told me off. My grandpa thought it was a requirement to hurt his grandchildren's feelings. (laughs) He didn't hesitate to say he was making a man out of me and he didn't care if I liked it or not. And I didn't go home whimpering to mama so she'd keep grandpa from being mean to me. And if I had, she would have said, get back over there, you need another dose. (laughs) For though you have countless guides, you don't have many fathers. I became your father through the gospel. So Paul says, okay, I'm your father. This is what I'm dealing with. This is why I sent you Timothy. I love Timothy. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you, and listen to this, of my ways in Christ, Yes, my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. And so what a privilege I had. If you have the over, you won. What a privilege I had this week. Gail and I went to North Carolina. And to be honest with you, anytime I go anywhere, here's what I think. I think if I go somewhere, I'm... uh, I'm going around people like me. And here's what I discovered, the people who were my hosts were people who were like us. They'd been to they'd been off to some Randy's meetings and touched by the Holy Spirit and God's doing great works in their lives and they were like, "Wow, we want this at home." And so they went home and they started doing ministry, but not many of things that were happening at the meetings they went to were happening at home. And so what Gail and I didn't know is that we were going into, as far as the workings of the Holy Spirit, we were going into virgin territory. And boy, did we have fun, right? Boy, did we have fun. Listen, I talk to, I talk to the same people all the time about the same things. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, they gotta be tired of me. So I go somewhere else and like it's, They've never heard some of the things I'm saying. But what was powerful was the way they received. Are you kidding me? The way they received. And so we went, uh, especially the day we went to the rehab centers. So we went to a girl's home where just a few girls were and a men's home where over 20 were. And of the 20, uh, several of them had just gotten there within a week or or two of them that day. So I started talking to these these guys about, um, I I said something about prophecy and Gail said, I don't think they have any idea what you're talking about, Alan. And so when I segued on the prophecy, I said, oh, so so I have to teach about prophecy. I said, listen, every one of you have been prophesied over and you don't know it. He said, "What, what do you mean? I said, well, somebody named you. And the person who gave you a name was prophesying over your life. They were telling you who you are. So I said, so that's really, if you want to simply know what prophecy is, prophecy is somebody who by the spirit tells you who you are. And then I got to do it. Oh my goodness. And what are they there for? They're there because they don't have many fathers. I asked him. No, I just said, I said, most of you either don't have a relationship with or aren't close to your own father. All the heads went down. I don't think one person looked at me and said, oh, I am. So then I said to them, but the call on your life is to become a father, and you have everything you need to be one. Are you kidding me? That's it. This is the stuff. If countless guides, you not many fathers. I became your father. Who did this man who fathered them in life? He fathered them in suffering, and then he sent Timothy, who knew how to how to get through it. Once again, what does the suffering look like? Well, it looks like loneliness sometimes. It looks like fear. It looks like all forms of anxiety in our culture. It looks like the pressure of the crowd. It looks like the pressure of the lies in your head. It's interesting. When I think of that place in the book of Revelation where it says the abyss was opened and the demons came out and, they, and the, the suffering that those demons caused on people's lives, I'm like, that's the suffering of the Western world. That's the suffering that I'm looking at most of the time. It's not that stuff of actual forces coming against you, it's that, it's that horde of stuff that visits you in the secret places of the night and the loneliness and the fear and torments and tortures you and makes you say, I've gotta find a way of escape. Oh, well, that's good, I'm glad you said it. No temptation has overtaken you, wrote Paul to the Corinthians. That is not common to man, but God is faithful, will not let you be tempted above your ability. With the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Hey, listen, enduring, enduring or overcoming temptation is not always winning the battle. It's it's escaping the snare of the enemy. And he goes even further in chapter 13. He said, love, listen to what he said. You'd read the love chapter and right at the end of all the stuff about love, love endures all things. Love endures all things. This endurance is a big deal for us tonight. He goes on to Second Corinthians and, and I'm like, well, I wanna know some more about this, Paul. 2 Corinthians 6, 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless night, hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, in the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors that are yet true, as unknown, and yet we are known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, and yet always rejoicing, as poor, and making making many riches, having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Hallelujah, are you kidding me? This is awesome stuff. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm talking like a madman. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and countless beatings, and often near death. And then listen to what he says Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst and often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of the anxiety of the churches upon me. Hallelujah. You just got a mean kid on your hands. You're going to make it. You're going to defeat it. You're going to overcome it. Who is weak and I'm not weak. Who is made to fall and I am not indignant. You're not going to be defeated. You're not going to be overcome. You're not a people who are going to melt like chocolate soldiers. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna make butter. You're going to make butter. I'm telling you, you are those who overcome the world. This is who we are. This is who we're designed to be. We were made for this. For such a time as this were we born. For such a time when people are so confused, they don't know normal things that people used to know. Such a time like this where, where people have no idea about normal definitions of life and death, of male and female, of Sex and gender. Such a time as this when the fools are leading the parade. For such a time as this when people's hearts are being shredded. Such a time as this, God put us in the world. This is our hour. This is our time. This is our day. This is that for which we were made. This is what we were called to. The giants of the land are ours to slay. The fears of the moment are ours to conquer. The temptations of the hours are ours to escape and endure. We are the people of God. Come on, folks. We're we're able to do this. And tomorrow, when there's nobody around, and you don't have the the voice of this riled up preacher speaking, the Holy Spirit is still there. And the Word of God is still there. And the Lord is with you. And He hears you. And He will come to you and strengthen you. And so we'll finish with the writer of Hebrews and that passage that's incomparably placed at the end of the faith chapter. The whole different, I tell people this, the whole book of Hebrews exists for the faith chapter. The faith chapter is not some high lofty (coughs) peak designed to tell us something we didn't already know. The purpose of the book is to get to the faith chapter because in the faith chapter, he tells them, don't lose your faith. Because these people have been going through the trials, going through the suffering, going through the pain, going through the fear. And he's like, and they're they're literally, they're sending him letters that they're going back. They're going to turn back. The messengers are saying, they're going to go back into their old Jewish life. They're going to abandon Christ. They're going to forsake the way. They're going to forsake the name. And he says, well, if you do, there's nowhere to go because everything in the Jewish life was pointing to this one Jew, to this one. And then he tells them that chapter. And we always preach the first half of the chapter of, the, of chapter 11 of, of Hebrews. And we, we usually stop about midway through. When you get to the middle of the chapter, all of a sudden the thing flips. Because in the first part of the chapter, all the things that people accomplish by faith are there. But in the second half of the chapter, all the failures and all the death and all the blood and all the suffering all the brokenness. And it's out of that that he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. He's not talking about your bad habits. He's talking about your unbelief. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us You've only got one life. You've only got one time to run your race. And you got dealt the hand you got dealt. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. consider him who endured from sinners such hostility that you won't grow weary and faint-hearted. In your struggle against unbelief you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I'd made an interpretation there in case you missed it. That's it. You're called to endure. You're going to do it. This is why I, want, I don't ever want to be in a monogenerational church. I want to be in a church where there's some old folks. I want to be in the church where there's some people going to their grave and bearing the witness of Jesus. We need the testimony of those We need need churches with three and four generations in the family. We need the elders saying to the younger. You see, my grandfather didn't live to see this day, but this is the day he was aiming at. You can do this, son. You were made for it. You have a strong body. You have a strong mind. You have everything you need. Nothing can defeat you on your journey. Nothing can overcome you. Don't ever let anybody tell you you can't, son. And on he went. And my football coach was on the other side of the fence in his backyard and he whispered to him over over the fence, don't ever let that boy get away with anything. And they conspired in my little small town because they were trying to build indestructible people. And we are too. Hallelujah. So I spoke to a few men, most of them I'll never see them again. I think about those things sometimes when I'm looking at somebody and I'm like, this is the only moment This is the only one we will share. This is the only time I will hold this man in my arms and whisper to him, you're going to make it through this. And you're going to be a father. And you're going to have sons, some in the flesh and more in the spirit. And they're going to look to you and they're going to remember your story. And they're going to overcome That's what you were made for. That's what we're made for. Let's pray for each other. Would you stand? Endurance. What are you going through? Endurance. What are you going through? And so the Lord is here. And he's here for the thing that no one knows about but you. And you're bearing it. And it's a giant. And the Lord had me preach this message for you. It's for you. And if that's you, you ought to come for prayer. You ought to come now.